Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to the episode of today. So this episode is all about friendships and how to choose your friends wisely. Now, something about this episode, I do get asked a lot about how to make friends as an adult. Now, I'm not specifically targeting how to make friends as an adult, but within this episode, you are going to find certain things that I talk about that indirectly will absolutely help you make friends as an adult. I think it's really difficult to make friends as an adult when you yourself don't understand exactly what you want in a friend, what kind of friendship you want. I'm going to break down the different kinds of friendships because there's all these different categories of friendships, which I'll be explaining in depth, and what kind of friend you want to be, what experiences you want to have as a friend, what experiences you want to engage in as a friend, all these things. Once you get really good clarity around those things, it will actually become easier for you to make friends in the future. Okay. So while it's not specifically targeted at how to make friends, it is all about how to choose your friends wisely. So you can actually enjoy your friendships. You'll be amazed, or maybe you won't be amazed at the amount of messages that I get from people who say, oh, I have these friends and then proceed to talk about these really awful encounters with people who do not respect them at all, where there's a lot of cattiness and bitchiness. And I think people maybe get so caught up in having, in in maybe restoring is not the word, but in maintaining this friendship due to a history of a long time of being friends with someone, that they lose sight of what the point of a friendship is. And the point of a friendship is to have your life enriched by these relationships and to be able to enrich someone else's life by these relationships. Yet some people engage in these circles that are so unhealthy and so cruel is pretty much the best word to to use for I don't know what reason other than preserving the the historical aspect of that friendship, which blows my mind, a friendship in quotation marks. So I'm talking about legitimate friendships and how to choose these actual friends wisely. Also, people really get caught up in the excitement of gossip. So I think they think, oh, if I had a friendship group where there was no gossip or there was none of this like, you know, circles that break apart and get back together and break apart, then where would the excitement be? That's actually not a friendship. Go watch some reality TV show if you want that excitement. An actual friendship should be a very calming thing and it should be very, very enriching in your life and it should make you feel very happy and loved and all the above. Anyway, that is what today is going to be about. There's a lot to get through, so I'm going to get straight into it. I'm also going to be answering – someone put up a question on the um, Facebook page and I will be answering that at the start because it's something that I think will be interesting to talk about. First, we've got our brain fact which is all about anti-epileptic drugs. Then we've got the topic of today's episode. And if I have time, I will answer another listener question at the end. But let's see how we go for time. All right, so the brain fact of today is going to be about epilepsy and anti-epileptic drugs. I'm going to be talking about the pharmacology of anti-epileptic drugs. And In order to talk about the pharmacology of anti-epileptic drugs, I also want to explain what epilepsy is and how that actually happens. So I'm going to start with that. So the drugs that I'm going to be talking about are used to control epilepsy, which is otherwise known as seizures. So a seizure is a sudden onset of uncontrolled electrical activity in the brain. And this happens because cells in the brain become overactive. The neurons are becoming overactive. Now there's different kinds of seizures. So we've got something called a focal seizure, which occurs in one hemisphere. So we have two hemispheres in our brain, obviously two, um, left hemisphere and right hemisphere. And um, they normally take on very similar roles on each side of the brain. Not in everything though, but I'm not even going to get into that. But if you get a focal seizure, this may or may not impair your awareness or your consciousness. Then we've got something called a generalized seizure where it occurs across both hemispheres, both sides of the brain, and this will often result in a loss of consciousness. Now, the brain, I've banged on about this forever, but the brain is like a fine balance of excitation and inhibition, okay? And seizures is basically viewed as this fine balance of excitation 
and inhibition being thrown off balance. So either there's over-excitation that's occurring or not enough inhibition and therefore it's over, there's over-excitability because of the lack of inhibiting that's going on. Now, to get into it a little bit deeper, brain cells communicate through something called electrical impulses and these impulses are from cell to cell. And where this impulse Basically what's happening is you've got this impulse that sets off a release of neurochemicals and those neurochemicals get released from the presynaptic cell, which is the cell that's sending the message or the, the, the information. And those neurochemicals then activate or deactivate activity on the receiving cell, which is the postsynaptic cell, and that then sets off another electrical impulse down that cell. So this Activity is called an action potential and this happens due to something called ion channels opening and closing in synchronicity and that is what what will make a cell fire or will stop a cell from firing depending on what neurochemicals are being released and on what cells they are performing on. But basically that is an action potential and that's what's going to cause excitability or inhibition. Now, I have done a brain fact before on action potentials, I'm pretty sure, but couldn't for the life of me tell you what episode that is. So I'm going to very quickly talk about a little bit around action potentials and the cell just to get a better understanding of what I'm then going to talk about. But basically, for an excitatory neuron, we've got excitatory and inhibitory, the inside of this excitatory neuron is positively charged and the outside is negatively charged, okay? And there are these channels, these imagine like a gate on the surface of the cell and those little gates or channels are called voltage-gated sodium channels. And what happens is for an excitatory neuron, these channels will open up and allow an influx of positively charged sodium ions into the cell. So they allow this influx into the cells. And this then reverses that gradient of that membrane, which basically means that now the inside, that intracellular space is now positively charged and the outside is negatively charged in comparison. So this means that the cell has been depolarized. And once depolarized, it opens up high voltage activated calcium channels Positively charged calcium channels then enter the cell and this, this entering into the cell of these calcium ions triggers the release of something called glutamate. And glutamate is the major excitatory neurochemical within the brain, among others, but it's the main one. It triggers the release of glutamate from these vesicles. And a vesicle, imagine it's like a little ball, a packaged lump, right, like a sack almost, And these sacs are what move the neurochemical to the edge of the cell and then dump that neurochemical out of the cell to the the receiving cell. So what it does, it triggers the release of glutamate from the vesicles into that synaptic cleft, that gap between the two cells that are communicating with each other. Glutamate then lands and binds on receptors of that postsynaptic cell, that second cell, and then it performs its job and then and then so on, so on, so on, okay? Now, there are two binding sites or two places where that glutamate can bind on that postsynaptic cell. We've got amper receptors, which when bound, it opens up the channels and it allows positive sodium ions into that next cell. And then we've got something called NMDA receptors that allow calcium to enter the cell. Now, these positively charged ions entering the cell lead to depolarization and then the restart of an action potential and it then starts again down that next cell. So it's basically this ongoing thing that's happening again and again where things are getting pumped into the cell and then pumped back out of the cell. And you can imagine that when something's pumped in, depending if it's positive or negative, it's going to determine what happens with the release of a neurochemical. So it sounds really technical, but that's trying to simplify it. That's what's happening. Now, if there is too much glutamate, then there is too much activity or too many action potentials occurring, and then we have too many cells firing left, right, and center. So if you can imagine that if there's too much of that, what I just mentioned happening, and there's too much activation of those vesicles to dump glutamate, then you're going to have too much activity. Why that happens? 
there's many reasons why it could happen, but that is the result. Now, normally when everything is running smoothly, the reason excitation doesn't go wild is because we have something called inhibitory neurons. And inhibitory neurons really do a great job at keeping everything under control through something called inhibition. These neurons, one of the things that they release is GABA. And GABA is the main inhibitory neurochemical. It binds to the cell where glutamate is binding to, so the postsynaptic cell, and it allows negatively charged ions to enter. Okay, so it evens the amount of activity and action potentials that could be occurring. So that way you're not getting like action potential after action potential. It kind of strolls on in and sets a bit of a tone being like, yeah, basically it basically just tries to keep everything nice and even so we're not getting overexcitation and too much, you know, activity. Um, right, so it – Basically, what I was saying, it binds to the cell where glutamate is binding to and it allows negatively charged ions in. It's evening out this activity so that way the neuron can't respond to stimulation 24-7, okay? It can only respond a certain amount of times. Too little GABA, too little of this inhibitory neurochemical can also cause neurons to be hyperexcitable because then you're just getting too much glutamate, the gap is not doing its job and then it's you've got overexcitation. Both these things can cause seizures. Too much glutamate or too little GABA, okay? Now, the drugs, anti-epileptics, how do they work? The aim with these drugs is to lower excitability and you can lower excitability by either lowering the activity of glutamate or increasing the activity of GABA. Now, one form of treating epilepsy is through blocking the voltage-gated sodium channels. So the first channel that I mentioned that allows sodium into the presynaptic cell that then sets off this release of the glutamate out of the vesicles, right? If you block the, the voltage-gated sodium channels, you're obviously not going to be blocking all of them. The aim is to block a percentage of them. If this is blocked, it reduces the sodium that enters the cell and therefore it limits how much glutamate gets released during an action potential. An example of this would be carbamazepine. Now, calcium channels can also be blocked for a similar effect, um, so that way there's either the sodium or the calcium channels and they give a similar effect. Now, many of these drugs act on more than one target. So they work to inhibit both sodium and calcium channels. That's that's quite common. Another blocker is called uh, – these drug names just kill my life. Another blocker, it's called levotriacetam, lol, and this binds to the walls of the vesicles containing the glutamate. So like I said, those sacs – that hold all the neurochemicals within the sac that then dump the neurochemicals out. That sac, if if you get something, this particular drug that binds to the walls of those vesicles, when it binds, it stops the release of glutamate out of that vesicle, that sac, and therefore, again, lowering excitability. Then there's drugs that act on the GABA system, benzos and barbiturates, and they bind to the GABA receptors, keeping they either keep the channel open for longer, so that way they allow more negatively charged ions to enter this postsynaptic cell that, than what would normally be happening, so that way lowering excitability. And then we've got something that blocks the GABA transporter. So basically it keeps GABA floating around for longer next to that cell, so you've got more chances of GABA reactivating that postsynaptic neuron instead of the leftover GABA that didn't get absorbed in the first place getting transported back into its original cell where it came from. A lot of drugs operate by blocking transporters because it keeps the neurochemical floating in that gap in that synapse for longer and then there's more chance that that neurochemical, there's more time that that neurochemical has to do its thing, okay? So in this case, GABA, so you've got more inhibition happening. Now, these are just some of the drugs, but as you can see, all the anti-epileptic drugs target parts of the neuron responsible for firing or inhibition. We're working on the systems that deal with glutamate and GABA.
okay? And it all comes down to striking a balance with excitation and inhibition. But like most drugs, especially drugs that operate on the central nervous system, there are going to be side effects. So in this case, with a lot of anti-epileptic drugs, the side effects can be sedation, um, dizziness, sedation and because you're increasing inhibition, which lowers activity. And in some drugs, there can be some cognitive issues as well. So that is the brain fact of today. I am going to be doing a brain fact coming up on why the ketogenic diet is so effective for people with epilepsy. So that's for another day, but that will be coming up soon. Anyway, that is the brain fact for today. I hope you enjoyed. All right, so we're going to get straight into the episode of today and I am going to be covering that question that I said I was going to cover that was asked on the Facebook group. So I'm just going to keep it anonymous for the theme of this anonymity that I have on my podcast. The question is, hey Beans, just wanted to see if there's any specific podcasts that talk about relationship challenges when you're in a relationship with someone who is childless, but you have children. My current situation going on two years and is lately challenging. How do you respectfully get people to understand your priorities once you are a parent in a kind and respectful way? For instance, getting annoyed when the kids come first or are talking to you which they often are, and you can't drop everything and give your partner 100% of the attention in that moment. I'm channeling all the positive vibes, language, etc., but it's not working lately. Hoping Alexis has some practical strategies I could apply. Thank you in advance. Now, I was reading all the comments on this post and everyone's like, red flag, dump his ass, blah, blah, blah. You know, basically people were like, you know, this person's just not your person. And the author of this post was very... I think had a really good attitude because the author of this post was responding saying, well, that's not very helpful to resort to just breaking up with someone when, you know, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to find a peaceful way to work through this. That would be the last resort. And yes, it's true that if this is not resolvable, the, the last resort may need to be an option where obviously you can't have this constant dynamic back and forth where someone's not understanding, you have children, you don't want to make your life more difficult. And then, yeah, not being with that person is an option, absolutely if things just do not resolve. However, I do understand what it's like to date somebody who has children when you don't. I've done it before. I've dated someone who had two teenagers and it was fucking tough. And my relationship with the kids was actually very good, mind you. Well, like it was like like an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old, I think, at the time. My relationship was very, very good with these children. And I feel like what was difficult in that relationship from my perspective, just to give you an insight into his perspective, is that for me, my partner was my number one priority as far as relationships in my life. He was number one, okay? I was number three. And that does affect the other person in that relationship. And it's not about, oh, you just have to get it. You just have to understand and that's it. Because that is one step of it, yes. But It is difficult because it's not about having an issue with the children. Well, for me, it wasn't. And often it's not for a lot of people. But it comes down to this thing that it's just hard when you prioritize this one person and you're not, that's not reciprocated. And it's often, you know, you understand, but you don't understand. And because this guy and myself and, you know, people in that situation have never had children, it is very difficult to understand because the moment you have children, you have, a, you have a level of understanding about parenting that other people just never have, okay? So I think you're on the right track of wanting to approach this with understanding and with, you know, all the above. I think what is truly important is that you have to, because your dynamic is different to, say, a dynamic where person meets person, they get together, they have a baby, they're in the same boat. Or person has a child, person has a child, they get together, they both understand each other's position. This is a unique dynamic. Given that it's a unique dynamic, you have to go about it in a unique way. What I would recommend is that, so you've got these priorities that are outside of your partner and come before your partner. So it is important to encourage your partner to have these things outside of the relationship that are really important to him that you know, whether it be whatever it is that he loves to do to, to encourage him to lean into those things. Does he enjoy traveling? Does he enjoy adventure? Does he enjoy hanging out with a certain group of people? Does he enjoy whatever it is? Because what I struggled with, and this is me just anecdotally talking about my personal struggles, but you've asked for my opinion, so I'm giving it to you. What I struggled with was in my situation, not only was I 
holding him as my priority. But I was also expected to be there and to prioritize the children as much as he did. And it's got nothing to do with loving the children or not, but I'm not a parent. I cannot parent these children. These children had parents, had a mother and a father. So I can't parent. I also don't understand the history of these children. I'm also just getting to know these kids. So it's got nothing to do with loving or not loving, but I just cannot put them as a priority as much as the actual parent can. And that's just something that people have to understand. He would get annoyed when he would think that I didn't love his kids as much as he did. And I'm like, how can I, how is that possible? Firstly, barely know them. Secondly, we're just, you know, um, entering this relationship. It's only been like a year in. It's just not possible. So you have to allow for there to be space and space for your partner to grow as an individual so he can have priorities outside of this unit. So that way when he comes into the family unit, his cup is full and he's like, I get that I'm not always going to be your number one, but I'm, I'm, doing so much in my life that's so enriching and so I feel so fulfilled that when I enter this relationship, I'm a lot more understanding of this dynamic. When the partner feels that all they have is this relationship and they're not even a priority, it's very disheartening. Okay. So for me, fair enough, it was an unhealthy relationship that I was in, but I was discouraged. Like I was like, how dare you want to go out all the time with without me? You know, like why why do you want to do these things? Why do you want to travel when you've got us at home? Why do you want to do this when you've got us? Why, 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 why? And then when I would be at home, I would get like the crumbs of his attention because of course the family unit would get the attention. And I'm like, can't I could be out living my best life and we could still have a relationship, but here I am expected to be here all the time. But then when I am here, I can't parent because they're not my kids. I barely get your attention because your 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 you know attention width span whatever is full which is fine but now I'm just kind of sitting here like hey ah," in the background so my advice in a nutshell is to of course sit down and explain I get where you're coming from but also this can never change for me they will always be my number one priority but in order to facilitate this I really want to make this work we have to do things differently I really want to encourage you to be doing things that make you feel fulfilled so that way I don't feel guilty And that way you feel fulfilled. So when we meet up together, when we come together as a family unit, you're already fulfilled. You're happy within yourself. You're happy within your life. And the times we do get together is awesome. And the times that we don't have together because I've got my children as my priority, you've got other things as your priority that's making you feel really fulfilled. Um, You know, go solo traveling, do these things. It's got to be a unique dynamic within the family. Sometimes you get to do things together and sometimes you won't. And you have to encourage that with him. And I can guarantee you, if that is the case, he's going to respect this whole situation so much more. And you're going to feel way less stress, way less pressure, because I agree with you that it's just, you can't obviously make him the priority. You have children. So it is what it is. So that would be my advice in that scenario. Okay. Let's get into the episode of today. So this episode is all about choosing your friends wisely. Now, excuse me, so choosing your friends wisely. Now for everything that you nod your head to when I, cause I, I did like a question box on Instagram and I got everyone to write down what traits I found unhealthy in a friendship. And for everything that you nod your head to, as always, I want you to ask yourself, do I ever do this? Am I this kind of person? Am I, am I the friend I'm seeking or not? Because sometimes we'll seek all these traits in a friend and then we'll hear things and we're like, oh my God, that's been done to me. But just always check in with yourself and be like, do I do that? Am I, am I asking for something that I myself, you know, am, am giving to other people? Like basically, am I annoyed that someone's doing something to me when I also do that to my friends? And if that is the case, just be aware You can always edit and update your behaviors as you go on through life, but it's always important to have some self-awareness around your own behaviors and if you are responsible for toxicity within friendships. Now, I am going to go through a big list of things that the listeners have written in because they're great. But I want to first say that when it comes to friendships, you have to get your head around the fact that friendships come in all shapes and sizes. Not every friend has to fit into the category and fill up the criteria of what makes a best friend, okay? Best friends or inner circle status is a lot more difficult and it's very rare to occur and a lot harder to fulfill because there's more things that need to align morally with, you know, on every level 
your views on certain behaviours. There's there's a bigger time commitment. There's just this level of honesty and vulnerability that needs to happen in order to have this best friend or inner circle status within someone's life. So not everyone has to fit that criteria in order for them to be a friend. I think a lot of people think like, oh my God, they've displayed this behavior. How dare they? How, whatever, how, whatever. But are they even a best friend of yours? And I'll go into this in depth because I don't think you need to be discarding everyone who doesn't fit this best friend criteria because there's going to be many categories of friends. And if someone doesn't fit that criteria in certain aspects, it doesn't make them a bad person. It doesn't make them evil. It's just a different category. I want you to let go of the idea that everyone in your life has to be this perfect friend in order for them to stay in your life. Once you let go of that, you're going to start to feel a lot better about the friends in your life. So when I talk about this whole episode of choosing your friends wisely, I'm more talking about choosing your inner circle wisely because you don't have to feel that you've got to eliminate anyone who doesn't treat you exactly the way you would treat them because that's not going to happen in a lot of areas in your life. And there are going to be friendships where they don't treat you the way you want to be treated in some aspects. And then you're not treating them the way they want to be treated in other aspects. And that is called reality. Okay. So sometimes when you distance yourself from certain people, Sometimes you're expecting someone to be a best friend, right? And you're trying to pull them in and it's just clunky and it's not working. You're getting frustrated. You're getting angry. Sometimes when you create some distance between you and that person, the friendship the friendship ends up being a lot more enjoyable than when you were closer. There are some friends that are just meant to be a little bit further removed for you to be able to enjoy that friendship. And, it, and you can have a lot of fun with these people in your life, okay? So I think a lot of people get caught up on the idea that they meet somebody, they get really like oh my God, this person is like so fun. They're going to be my best friend. And then they start getting annoyed about little traits in them and these moral classes, clashes that they have. And then they think, I can't have this person in my life at all. Not the case at all. So some friendships, yeah, wait, I'm losing my, uh, okay, lol, I've just lost my point and I don't want to pause this recording. Um, so, okay, I've broken it down into categories of friends and you can add more and more categories if you want. But we've got we've got travel friends. So these are transient friends that come into your life at some time and then they may not ever come again or you may only just message each other on like social media and that would be it for the rest of your lives. But there's great memories and great respect. Then we've got old friends where you grow apart and your lives evolve in a different way and you always – you know, love them and you want them in your life in some capacity, but you're just not as close anymore for many different reasons. Then we've got work friends who you might have a great relationship in the workplace, but you just never happen to meet up outside of work. No one ever tries to instigate it and it's fine and everyone's happy with that. But when you're at work, you have a ball. Then we've got um, good times friends. So that's like fair weather friends. They're there for a laugh and a party and a good time, but they're probably the person that you just could never rely on. Um, Then we've got Things in common, friends, that's like people in your mum's group that you might only ever hang out in the mum group and you get along enough but you're like, you probably wouldn't hang out with, you know, we probably don't have a reason to be hanging out one-on-one and getting really close and coming over to each other's houses for dinner, for example. Or, you know, there could be friends at your gym or another hobby where you might just be friends there but then outside of that bubble you might not actually ever hang out with them. That's also perfectly fine. Then there's... Peripheral friends. So these are friends that are fucking awesome to hang out with in a group, but you never, ever, ever hang out with them one-on-one outside of the group and for no specific reason. And it just doesn't affect either of you. And every time the group's together, you love each other, you get along, you chat, but for whatever reason, neither of you have ever instigated hanging out one-on-one and it doesn't affect either of you. You just are peripheral in the group friends. That's also a great friendship to have. Um, And then We have best friends who will often fit, you know, the the bulk of your criteria of what makes up a good friend. The standard is always very, very high for a best friend, very high. And when I talk about a best friend, there doesn't have to be one best friend. Uh, Your entire group can make up the title of a best friend if if you're close enough and that's how you feel Um, and if you hang hang out one-on-one and have conversations one-on-one with everyone in that group. You can also have best friends from different different areas in your life. You know, I've got best friends in different friendship groups that never hang out. Um, 
And yeah, and also I'm going to be using the term best friend and inner circle, people in your inner circle interchangeably throughout this episode. But the best friend is kind of the hardest mark to hit, okay? And we all know why that is because obviously there's a lot of, there's way more responsibility. You're that person's person. You not only are there for fun, but you're also there to pick up the pieces when your friend's, you know, down and out. You, you know, share memories with this person, but you also have to, there's just so much that goes into being that really close person. And we all know what that's like because we all are someone's best friend or have had a best friend. So I am going to first read out all the things that people within the group wrote. And then I also have my own two categories of like healthy traits and warning traits within a friend as well. So I put the question out, which is, um, what traits do you find unhealthy in a friendship? So this is what everyone said. Secrecy, needy, unreliable, jealousy. There was so many of the jealousy one. It was unbelievable. So that's a big one. Guilt tripping, people who get annoyed when I don't reply to a text, when they're still friends with my ex, when they don't respect my boundaries, when they are envious of me, possessiveness and clinginess, only hearing from them when they need something from you, pressure to come to events when they know that you are not feeling it, having FOMO every time you don't do something with them, control, jealousy when you spend time with another friend and not them, uh, bad-mouthing ma- bad everyone in the group without ever trying to resolve the conflict, being passive-aggressive, always dumping all their issues onto me but expecting me to never say anything to anyone, comparison, when they remain close to someone who disrespected you, everyone being so flaky, turning the convo onto themselves when you share anything about your life, can't celebrate your wins, one-upping you or copying or copying you out of competition but not out of admiration. Competitiveness, that was a massive one. Competitiveness just kept cropping up and cropping up. Tearing you down, always coming to you for help but never being there when you need it. Interrupting conversations and only being present when the conversation is about them. This is so frustrating and there were a lot of those ones as well. Being on their phone or distracted when the conversation is not directly about them. Gatekeeping friends and friendships. Giving unsolicited advice on things they have no experience in. Feeling like I'm walking on eggshells scared to offend them. Always cancelling plans. Never puts in the effort to call or make plans. Only wanting to party. Never checking in to see if I'm okay. Constantly bragging. When they don't become my butler, I was howling at at that one. So it's a toxic trait when your friend doesn't become your butler. Feel I fucking feel you on that one. Who doesn't want that? Um, only only ever be, being used as a therapist. Getting super defensive when I bring something up that has hurt me, and ghosting you when they enter a relationship. Now there were way more. I'm talking there were hundreds more, but these were the ones that seemed to have like a common theme and that cropped up. A lot, especially the ones about um, jealousy and competitiveness. Now, as you can already see, I mentioned those categories of friends. There's going to be certain categories here that instantly you're like, oh, they can still be my friend, but they're just more this. They're, they're probably like, I have to stop forcing this to be a best friend or an inner circle friend. You know, they're like this person when it says always partying or only wanting to party and never checking to see if I'm okay. That's a fair weather friend. If they're a good time, you don't need to discard them. You need to be like, that's may- maybe not even a toxic trait. Maybe they just love you, but they don't see you as that close a friend. Possibly. I don't know. So maybe you're like, all right, if I can just get in my head that it's just a different dynamic with this person, then I can probably enjoy their company a whole lot more. same as ghosting you when they enter a relationship. I know a lot of best friends do this and it's quite difficult to come to terms with that. But I always say when your friend ghosts you to enter into a relationship, give them a grace period of a few months. (coughs) Excuse me. Give them a grace period of a few months. And then after a couple of months, you know, obviously you're reaching out to hang out. If they're just not reaching out to hang out after maybe three, four months, I would then say, hey, look, have you noticed that since you got into this relationship, not once have you reached out to hang out with me or whatever? Are you happy with that? Or would you like us to hang out more? Always put it on them. I always put the question on them. If you go in and say, you this, you that, I didn't, 
they're going to be like, whoa, psycho, I'm getting attacked. Why do I want to hang out with them anyway? So always it's like, is this what you want? Because I've noticed that you're not hanging out with me. I understand you just entered a relationship, fields, we've all been there. However, um, I have invited you a few times. You have said no. I'm just going to put the ball in your court for now because I'd love to see you. But if, if you're happy with this dynamic at the moment, then I'm going to respect it. And really chilled. And then often this friend will be like, fuck, 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 fuck. I've really dropped the ball on this friendship. That's not okay. But always give them like a few months because when you enter a relationship, you're just on another fucking planet in, for a lot of people, not everyone. Anyway, so I'm going to talk about warning traits that I wrote down before reading these ones. And these are the warning traits. When friends use guilt as a currency, that's very unhealthy. That's unacceptable. Um, when you feel in a position that you are lucky to have their attention. And that's kind of been mentioned in what people say. So in the sense of like, if every time they talk about themselves, everyone gives them their attention. But if every time you talk about yourself, they're on their phone, they don't give a fuck, they're interrupting, turning the story back on them. It's all about that. So then the one time that they are giving you their attention, you, you're like, oh, fuck, I'm, I'm lucky to have this attention. That's unhealthy, obviously. Um feeling that you have to compete for their company or compete for their attention. You should never have to feel that way about any friend ever. And if there is this sense of competition, I would just step away and see how much that friend, you know, values the friendship. Because if they just never, ever reach out to you again after you've tried and tried and tried and then one day you step away and they never reach out ever again, maybe that was just meant to be. Um, The whole idea of are you scared to offend them? And then that was brought up several times. This idea of being scared to offend them means that they might feel like they're in a position where they hold the upper hand, um, where there's like a power dynamic within the relationship. If there's ever a power dynamic in a friendship, I tend to not really value those friendships that much because they're obviously getting something out of that friendship. That's So your friendship is secondary to what they're getting and often they get a sense of power and that fills their ego and that's, you know, I don't think a very healthy dynamic for the person on the on the receiving end of that. Um, do they expect behaviors of you that they will never give? So for example, people that don't get, that get annoyed because you never call them, but they never call you that kind of thing. That's obviously not fair when, when things aren't really reciprocated, when it's basic things, you know, like it's, it's fine for things to not be reciprocated. If both of you are like, Oh, well, that's just how I show love. I don't care if you give it back. That's okay. Like I mentioned earlier, But I think the issue when it's not reciprocated, if someone's getting annoyed at you, being like, you never call me, you never, you know, when they never do it. That's just hypocrisy. Um, And that also, yeah, when when things are one-sided. So what's really common is that they'll joke about you all the time. They have no problems like being really witty and joking and like really, you know, on the the edge comments of like borderline offensive, but it's so funny that it's like, oh, fuck, I'll, you know. But then when you dish out some, you know, joking insult to them, they fucking hit the roof. You know, that's kind of not fair either. It's like you can dish it all you want, but then the moment I give it to you, you blow up at me. That's just not fair. Um, And then another one that's really a big warning trait is that they expect you to validate them and they make you responsible for making them feel good. This is quite common. Then we've got healthy traits and the healthy traits are do they prioritize you at the same level that you do? So it doesn't have to be like, are they my number one priority? But it's this idea that there's a mutual understanding of where the friendship is. So it's this like where they could basically read the room of what the friendship is. You know, if someone's clearly not your best friend, but they're so needy and they're like, you didn't call me, you didn't this, you didn't. And you're like, dude, we're not even that close. We never see each other. Fucking calm down. That's one of them. It's just people who can just read the dynamic of the friendship. Um, but also if you're always checking in, always prioritizing them, always making sure they're okay, you know, a healthy trait is that they do the same in response. Um, A friend who's able to apologize and acknowledge their wrongs. So someone who's able to listen to you say, hey, look, I actually want to talk about what happened the other day. I felt really uncomfortable and I think it's just easier if I raise it now. We can just quickly talk about it and it's done. Like I, I really don't like love talking about it, but I think it's just better we address it now. And for them to be like, yep, okay, then they hear it out, then they can apologize or say their piece or, you know, that's healthy. Or a friend that can pull you up on things is very healthy because it means that they are comfortable around you. A lot of people don't like getting pulled up on things. I'm not talking about being attacked, but pulled up. But they don't realize that it's actually quite, it's actually quite a, a healthy thing if your friend can respectfully 
pull you up on something because it, because it means that they a value you, b want the relationship to not only continue but to get better and better, and c they feel comfortable around you saying these things. So while it's like painful to hear, it's almost a compliment. Um, another one is that you feel comfortable setting a boundary with your friend with your friends, and you feel that they're going to understand it when you say, "I can't go to this event. I'm not feeling okay." For your friends to then knowing that you don't feel okay, being like, "Come on, it's you." That's just. You're not really respecting my boundaries here. I'm just telling you I'm not in the headspace. I'm not okay. Whereas other friends would probably be like, do you need anything? I'm still going to go, but do you want me to drop anything off for you? Blah, 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 blah. That would be a healthy trait. Now, all of these things that I mentioned that listeners wrote in and that I categorized in those, you know, what's healthy and what's unhealthy, there's going to be ones that you find acceptable and there's going to be ones that you're like, nah, that makes my blood boil. I hate it when someone does that. It makes me feel like shit. I won't have it ever again. Then there's other traits that you think, oh, honestly, this is a deal. This is like annoying, but it's not a deal breaker. And for me, someone who's always competing with me could never be in my inner circle. They would be maybe a good times friend a peripheral friend, because if there were enough positive traits about this person, I would still want them as a friendship. That's what I mean. Like, I don't think you have to be that ruthless and think, you compete with me, you're fucking gone. It's more like, look, you're competing with me. This is fucking exhausting. So I'm going to limit your access to me and my time with you in a very just casual way. Okay. I'm just going to back away very like subtly and keep you at arm's length because I still enjoy your company. But when we're that close, you're too competitive, you grind my gears and I end up resenting this friendship, okay? So for me, that's a deal breaker for uh, to be in my inner circle, but it's not a deal breaker to be within my friendship group. If someone is always flaking again and again and again, that would be hard to be in my inner circle. But again, I would not cut them out altogether because – I've had friends that have always flaked on me and cancelled last minute a million times and it's gotten me so worked up and I've been so upset and so annoyed and and now I'm like, why do you let yourself get so upset about this? Just just remove yourself from the situation. So every time someone of my flaky friends, you know, tries to meet up with me, I have this idea of like they're probably not going to be made available. I'm going to make sure I've got stuff on that day that will still that I can still do. So if that they cancel, I'm not left high and dry. And then when they do follow through, I'm like, ha, huh, pleasantly surprised. And then I have a really good encounter with them and they don't see them for months again. So I now just enjoy it. I'm like, I'm fucking chilled about this. It's fine. But that would drive me fucking unbelievably insane if that was Liv, my best friend, doing that to me. I'd be like, babe, you're bringing me to the edge of, you know, my sanity, basically. So it's you've got to look at these categories and say which of those is unacceptable for my inner circle friends and which of those is actually acceptable for the more peripheral friends or the good times friends or like the the what what was the other one? The one like the when they're in like at work or um common friends and all that shit when you're in a group or whatever. So I think it's important to write a list down of all the traits that you think are healthy and unhealthy. You can take it from this list. You can make your own list. It's whatever works with you. But the reason a best friend becomes a best friend is because you align with the things that are most important to you and you reciprocate these behaviors and ways of treating each other. You understand what your best friend values and you will do it even if you don't value it that much. And your best friend will reciprocate that. So, I know what my closest friends need, even if it's not something that I need. And I will try when possible, when I'm aware enough to meet those needs or to help them meet those needs and vice versa. So if I know that someone absolutely loves their alone time and doing these self-care nights and whatever, I'm always encouraging them to do that and reminding them of like, you know, as you could imagine, the kind of friendship that I am is I'm all like, Jing people up and, you know, talking them and giving them advice and telling them, you know, therapy sessions and shit. That's the kind of friend that I am, as you can imagine. That's my forte. So with my friends, if I say like Liv's burning out, I'll be like, babe, have you noticed that you haven't done one of these nights yet? I think you've said yes to too many things this week. I think next week you probably need to say no to maybe two invitations and you need another one of those self-care nights. You haven't done that in months, blah, 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 blah. And then she's like, yeah, fuck. Yeah, you're right. So I'll be very, that's the kind of friendship. I'm not that nurturing 
I'm nurturing in like a tough love kind of way, I guess, but I'm not this gentle nurturer, whatever, but I'm more like, you need to do this. You haven't done that. You're burning out here. You know, you've, you've got to fucking, and that's how I show my love and my friendship among other things as well. So it's this idea of like preempting what your friend needs and kind of being there for them. That's a best friend. Not everyone has to fit in that category and it's important that you, there are going to be some traits that no friend ever could ever have, like lying behind your back, talking shit about you and spreading rumours about you that isn't true. I probably wouldn't want anybody, no matter what category of friends, to do those things, okay? There's, there's, there's certain things that are just like an absolute, like too far, no matter who you are, no matter what category, not interested. But then, yeah, I think if you find that you've got your criteria for your best friends and then you've got acceptable behaviour for people that aren't that close to you and then you realise that a lot of those behaviours are people that you think are your best friends, maybe you need to step away from that friendship and see if I give this a bit more breathing space and if I just distance myself a little bit, not ghost them, just distance myself a little bit with how much time and effort and energy I'm putting into this thing that's hurting me, maybe I'll find a way to rediscover the love I have for this friendship in a more removed way. I've done that many times with friendships and it's saved friendships in my life because I've taken a step or two back and thought, you know, I need to reframe this friendship in my head and I've discovered things about that friendship that I've loved so much and I'm not so attached anymore to them needing to be my best friend. I feel so much happier and at ease and the friendship thrives because of it. Now, now let's talk about the most important one of all, the friendship that you have with yourself. I bang on about this all the time and I will continue to bang on about this until the end of time. But if you can't enjoy your own company legitimately, then the bar for who you hang out with is going to be or can get very low. Some people are fortunate enough to be surrounded by absolute legends and they still don't like their own company. You know what? If that's the case, genuinely good for you. But for many people, the reason they keep hanging out with people that make them feel bad, that put them down and make them and treat them poorly is because they are terrified of being friendless and being stuck with their own company. And people fear that that's the worst case scenario, but it's not. The worst case scenario is never becoming the version of yourself that you know you're capable of becoming because you stayed in these borderline soul-destroying friendships and scenarios where you're always made to feel horrible about yourself. Being alone is temporary and actually ends up being enjoyable once you've dealt with everything that you need to deal with. I've got a whole episode on that, episode 163, being alone versus being lonely. Um, And that's actually going to help you. Being alone helps you find richer, healthier relationships in your life because you understand more about yourself. If you don't know yourself and what you want and what you value by being alone, which you can only find by being alone, then how can you know truly what it is that you will and won't put up with in other relationships? What is the minimum standard for how you're going to be treated, how you treat yourself? That's the minimum standard. Because if you treat yourself low, a very low standard, then of course other people are going to treat you that way and people walk all over you when you treat yourself like shit. So you have to set the bar high and that starts with how you treat yourself and the friendship and the relationship that you have with yourself. Now, I want you to really just don't avoid being alone at the cost of being sad or having low self-esteem. This is a very bad trade. You are trading your mental well-being for avoidance of something that will actually help you. Never make that trade. If you improve your relationship with yourself and it gets to a stage where you like your own company, then the bar is going to be set pretty high. And you're not going to put up with shit because you're like, hold up. I'm actually enjoying my own company. I actually really like this. Then this person that always talks to me horribly and treats me bad and puts me down in front of all my friends has just said, hey, um, we're having dinner here. You, do you want to come? I could just just as easily be like, you know what? I don't feel like being trolled at a dinner tonight. I actually really like my own company and I'd love a night to myself. That's where you can get to. And then you remove yourself from situations that are unhealthy and you start entering into this really healthy space where you'll only go out 
and do something if it's enriching because the alternative is so good and that is you being with yourself. And if you're sitting here saying, yeah, well, Alexis, I can't do that because all my friends are fucked, then hello, that is a warning sign to ditch your friends. You are better off alone than with bad company as long as you make sure that your own company is good company and that's your job to work on yourself, to work on these things, you know. You're also going to be able to decide the frequency at which you hang out with certain people. Because if you start to feel drained at any point, you can take a night off. People that hate their own company, no matter how exhausted they are, don't don't want to be alone. They have FOMO. They've got – I have a whole episode on FOMO. I've written it down. Episode 205, how to stop having FOMO. But these people, they're scared to be alone. They've got all this FOMO. Once you get over that, once you start, you know, working on that relationship with yourself, when you're burning out, you can say, I love you guys so much, but I'm out for tonight. I just need a night to myself. Okay? That's what's going to happen. And then you're going to start having these richer and richer and richer relationships. And these relationships are going to serve you because you can have as much or as little of that relationship as you want. The best friends, your inner circle, you nurture. The friends that are draining but you still want in your life, you can separate yourself from. But if the bar is so low with how you treat yourself, you're going to be pulling in any relationship left, right and center just so you have friends. And that's not okay. It's not okay for your mental health and it's not okay for, you know, your trajectory in life because you're, it just, it's just a way of putting yourself down and it gets in the way of your self-love and your self-respect. So if you have a good relationship with yourself, then you can have great friends and still want a night alone. And that is when you know you've hit the sweet spot in your life where the richest relationship you have is that one with yourself and then all the other relationships in your life are those that further enrich your life. That's the sweet spot. And that's what you're aiming for. Okay. So I guess when I talk about the topic of this podcast being around choose your friends wisely, the number one friend that you have to choose is yourself. And then we look at our inner circle and who are fitting that criteria of the inner circle. And you go through that criteria yourself, either my list or you make up your own list or the listener's list. That was a great one. And then you look at which behaviors are actually fine, but more to keep at arm's length. Like which, which, which are ones that actually wouldn't phase me if they were more of a peripheral friend. And then what's an absolute deal breaker, non-negotiable, I can't have that in my life. So once you understand these three categories of behaviors, then it makes it a lot easier and you feel way more at ease and at peace when someone's not displaying behaviors that you wish they would display. I don't have time for a listener question. I have gone over trying to keep my episode times like roughly the same. Oh, I kind of answered a listener question at the start. But anyway, that is the episode for today. I love you guys so much. Hopefully you can put all of that into practice. And as always, please remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.